ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. If you've ever had a migraine, you know that they are so much more than just a bad headache. Some people throw up, some get blurred vision, some struggle to speak properly, and others are bedridden for days. I was really surprised to see that migraines are the most disabling medical condition for women under 50. And one in four women who get them say they've had to quit their job because of it. They cost the Australian economy $16 billion in lost productivity each year. But despite that huge impact that they have on our health and our economy, they're actually really underdiagnosed, undertreated and often very misunderstood. Finding the right treatment can be long and frustrating journey. And for some people, they never find a way to manage the pain. So do you get migraines? What impact do they have on your health and on your work life? And what do you want to know and understand about them? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. And it's Bromwyn O'Shea filling in for Rochelle Hunt this week on the Conversation Hour. Why are migraines such a tricky beast and what can be done to make life easier for people who get them? Dr Emma Foster is a neurologist at the Alfred Hospital and a research fellow at Monash University. Hello, Emma. Hi, Bronwyn. Thanks for having me. What actually defines a migraine? Because I feel like a lot of people don't really understand what they are. That's such a great question and I absolutely agree with you. I think there's a common misconception that migraine refers to any bad headache. But in medical terms, we think of migraine as a very distinct type of headache. Migraine is diagnosed clinically. That means based on what people experience. And in a medical terms, a migraine is a specific headache that is unilateral, which means that it's on one side of the head or worse on one side of the head. Mm -hmm. It's a throbbing, pulsating pain. It stops people from being able to do their regular activities. It's associated with nausea, which is the feeling of wanting to vomit or even vomiting. And people often have accompanying sensitivity to light, sound, motion. They have dizziness, they have brain fog. And all these symptoms last between 4 to 72 hours during a migraine attack. So that's our very specific set of criteria for what constitutes a migraine headache. What actually is going on in the brain when people get a migraine? It's complex and not yet fully understood, but we do know of some of the mechanisms that drive migraine attacks. There's activation of the trigeminovascular pathways and central... The what? <laughs> What's that? So this is a whole network of um, nerves that run over the shoulders, neck, up the back of the head, into the scalp and into the face itself. And that's sometimes why people experience migraine in different parts of their head. So a lot of people might experience it behind the eye, which is retroorbital, or on the side of the head, which is a temporal location, though some people's migraine pain is worse just at the nape of their neck or into their shoulders and um, uh, shoulders. And so that's really the whole network of nerves that are involved. But we also know that central parts of the brain, like the brainstem, are involved in migraine. And because migraine is very complex and it's often takes um, days to ramp up to a migraine attack, we can see the activation of the central brain through things like increased yawning in the hours or day leading up to the attack, changes in mood, changes in sleep. We also have identified several neurotransmitters, which are the chemical messengers that help um, activate nerve signals or transmit nerve signals around the brain. And there are many involved and every person has got a slightly different combination. And so some people respond better to some medications than others because of that. And is that what makes migraine so difficult potentially for some people to kind of have have success in, in managing because they present differently for every person and therefore the treatment can be different for every person? 
Absolutely. That's it. So I think on an individual level, recognising a migraine, particularly an atypical migraine, can be really difficult. Then the diagnosis, um, coming to a doctor, having the doctor recognise it as a migraine is the next barrier. And then the final challenge is finding the right treatment for you. Exactly as you said, Bronwyn, everyone's mm. individual and needs sort of a tailored treatment plan appropriate for them. Can you have a migraine without pain? I know that sounds strange, but I've heard of that and there's a few people asking that on, on the text message line too. You can, you can. So migraine is a brain, a chronic brain disorder. And typically we think of it characterised by the migraine attacks with the pain being the prominent feature. But people can have migraine without the pain or with fairly limited mild pain. And it's the other symptoms of migraine, the nausea, the dizziness, the brain fog, that really are the debilitating symptoms for these people. So um, do we know, if it's a brain condition or a brain disorder, do we know why some people get it and others don't? This is still an area under study, but we have identified a few genes for migraine and we suspect there are genetic components for most people who have migraine and there's also interactions with the environment. And so you said that sometimes it can take days sort of in the lead up to a full migraine attack, things like yawning, you might notice yawning or changes in mood. Um, the trouble is, you know, most of us do tend to get tired and exhausted and irritable at certain times in our life. And I feel like it could be tr kind of tricky to see, you know, are these the early signs of a migraine or is this just life? Is that a challenge? It's so challenging, right? And I feel like, particularly as we know, stress is a trigger for people's migraine. But oftentimes people will say, you know, looking back, I've been a little stressed, but not as stressed as I was, say, a few months ago where I had no migraine. So I think it is very difficult sometimes for people to identify triggers. And often it's not one clear, strong trigger for people. It's a whole lot of little things that by themselves aren't terribly notable, but combined that can tip people over into having an attack. Yeah. I was amazed to see just how, for people with chronic migraines, mm. just how often they get them. What do we know about, you know, how frequently people are, are experiencing migraines? So when we talk about um, migraines, we've um, arbitrarily, sorry. Such divided. a hard word to say. I know what you mean. <laughs> Um, divided um, them up in terms of frequency, which is how many days in a month do experience migraine symptoms. And people can have episodic migraine, which is less than 15 days a month, or chronic migraine, which means they're experiencing the symptoms of migraine 15 or more days a month. And as you can imagine, if you have migraine symptoms frequently, every second day or greater, um, the burden of disease increases as well and about eight percent of people with migraine have got the chronic migraine but chronic migraine accounts for about a quarter of all migraine disability 15 days a month mm, like to think of being in pain that often that's half your life absolutely that's extraordinary um stay with us emma we are talking about migraines and and just how misunderstood and often um undertreated they are love to hear what your experiences have been with migraine Siobhan has called in from Coburg Siobhan good morning good morning tell me about your migraines yeah so migraines have really changed the course of my life over the past few years and started in um in the, the lockdowns. I had two young children, I was working from home and had a lot going on at that time. So they were initially um, related, I think in part to anxiety, they started with headaches. And then I got my first bad one. I didn't even recognize what it was after going for a run. Um, so this is a couple of years ago now. Um, and since then, I, I, I had a year or so of just being bedridden while we worked out um, the various treatments um, that, <coughs> excuse me, that could work for me um and yeah there's this whole host of things that yeah come into play as everyone's saying um so working out the actual triggers can just be a nightmare and just kind of impossible uh to do but looking at things like um uh, once you see your actual uh, get can get onto a neurologist 
um, then it's possible to start um, various treatments like a monthly injection um, that I know has helped a lot of people. Um, and for me as well, part of this process was also being diagnosed with ADHD and the medication that I was able to ta uh, start taking then uh, also had an impact on getting me back on my feet. So while I'm calling um, today with a migraine, it's a minor one and I can keep going um, through the day with it. So I'm not sort of bedridden in pain. Um, I just sort of, it's a little bit of a blip and I take my uh, reactive medication and then I'm able to keep on going with the oh, day. That's good to hear. Siobhan, there was a text message much earlier, right at the start from someone who said, you're over-dramatising this. You know, most people can just go to the GP, there's medication you can take, it's pretty easy to treat. Not that easy for you? <laughs> um, no, I mean, that sounds to me like somebody who's probably talking about their own experience and potentially have quite minor migraines. There is over-the-counter medication, um, the triptans, but if you have chronic migraines and start to get them sort of every day, yeah, trip. You can only take ten trip tans a month, and then it causes they start to cause migraines. So, no, absolutely. They. Uh, I'm part of a Facebook group, um, a chronic migraine support group in Australia. That's really helpful if anyone does have migraines to hear other people's experiences. Um, and yeah, some people have been lying in a dark room for years because <laughs> you know none of the um, medications work for them. So, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it obviously has a huge impact on some lives. Yeah, and yours. And I'm so pleased to hear that you've managed to find your way to something that can sort of ease, certainly ease the pain to some degree, Siobhan. Well done. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Siobhan in Coburg. Lots of texts coming in and, and people who are describing those years of being bedridden. This one says, it had me bed bound for around four years, so of course I couldn't work. Many, many different treatments, all of which didn't work until I went to a GP for some clinical hypnotherapy, as I thought maybe it was all in my head excuse the pun um long story short says this text the gp suggested hrt and i now have my life back says bernadette in mentone um actually that's an interesting point dr emma foster neurologist who's with us what about the link between hormones and and migraine yeah, again, one that is under investigation, but we know that women um, have migraine more than men, um, particularly um, during working age, which is also the age um, uh uh, during reproductive years as well. So we, we, we know that my, uh, migraine and hormones are, are linked together. And is there anything that, that um, text messaged message mentioned HRT. Uh, do we know about things that help if it is a hormonally triggered migraine? Um, we've got, um, I think this would be really an individual case-by-case -case basis in terms of working it through to see what contribution the hormone has for that particular individual with mm. their migraine attacks. Mm. Um Lots of lots of texts which we'll try to get to, but I think I can see easily from the volume that are coming in, Emma, that this is something that people, you know, um, is having a huge impact on people's lives. Julie has phoned in from Preston. Welcome, Julie. Hi there. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. And what have you experienced with migraines? Um, well, I was just saying to your producer, I'm sort of at the other end of the scale where I've not had any pain, and it's only happened to me probably five times over 28 years, and it was the visual. Um, the first time was five days after my first child was born. I was sitting with friends and over 10 minutes, I sort of completely lost visual field. Everything was replaced with like flickering lights and I freaked out uh, like internally mm. and just thought, no, just notice the lights, you know, just and after about 20 minutes, they just... It was like a jigsaw puzzle where all the pieces suddenly reappeared back. And then since then, probably four, I have spoken to well, my ophthalmologist and my GP about it, but um, four times probably since then, that's 28 years ago, I've had um, minutes where I'm getting like a beveled edge around my vision and it's it's never, it's, it's never amounted to anything more than for a few minutes. And I think each of those four times I grabbed one of my cats, lay down and deep breathe and just thought, just don't freak out. And yeah, but it's sort of, I believe it's a migraine-y type symptom, but it's never, well, what my doctor said to me, I've never gone on to the next stage of having any pain or no nausea, none of that. It's just abated, but I, it's all part of the same continuum. Yes, and 
very unsettling, Julie, when it starts to affect your vision, I can imagine. Thank you oh, so much for, yeah. for calling in with that experience. Yeah, it's not always a throbbing, pulsating, um, you know, head pain, is it? Rod has phoned from Templestowe. Hello, Rod. Hi, how are you? Good. We've heard from lots of women so far, and they certainly get them more commonly than men, but, but you get migraines. <laughs> yeah, so I had debilitating migraines for nearly three years going back six years ago they just came on sort of out of the blue and I had classic migraine symptoms I was I couldn't work I really for two years I was getting them every two weeks and they were lasting five to six days where I'd end up with a GP giving me opioids in my backside after five days of pain and then I'd get sick from that and I'd be sick for another three days and it went on and on and I went to a couple of GPs and tried different medications until one GP who was at a just a 24-hour clinic said to me, I want you to come back when you're not having a migraine so I can check your blood pressure because blood pressure is always up when you've got a migraine, of course. And um, I went back when I didn't have a migraine, which was in this sort of small window, and I had really high blood pressure. And he, he gave me this really high-powered blood pressure medication and overnight my migraines disappeared and I haven't had one since. Wow, Rod. And that just shows, doesn't it? It's, you know, getting the right advice at the right time uh, can yeah. make all the difference. Yeah. When you were having those, you know, days, sometimes a week wiped out from either the migraine or then the medication um, hitting you, yeah. what, what, what impact was that having on your personal life and on your work life? Oh, it was a nightmare. Like, I, I suppose, thankfully, in one in one measure, I was running my own business at the time, which... You know, because if I had a, if I was working for someone, I would have been out the door. But um, so it had a massive impact on my income and uh, and my personal life. Thankfully, I had a partner that she was, you know, she was understanding and uh, she didn't work at the time, so she was able to care for me. But I was like a, I was like an invalid at home, like just bed bound and yes, upside down with my head jammed in the corner of a couch with ice on one side, trying to just find some comfort in some way in some position and it just went on and on and on i had to take so many uh, painkillers and all the painkillers was codeine based and i'm not very i'm not a very good drug addict trust me um and all the codeine that I, all the paracetamol that i had to take with the codeine ended up almost collapsing my liver and i was back in hospital with that and oh, it was just a merry-go-round of oh, pain. Did you yeah. did you find that people just didn't understand what the realities of a migraine were? Yeah, I mean, look, as as I've heard on this show, that there's you know there's different treatments for different people and different things work. For di like, we tried everything. We tried all the classic um, migraine medication, and it just didn't work. And one doctor just out of the blue said, "I just think this might be related to your." blood pressure and uh fair enough it was <laughs> well i'm glad to hear you've had a, a turnaround okay. in your health rod that's a great success story thanks so much for sharing it simon is in Inverloch. simon welcome to the program yes thank you what brought on your migraines uh so i had a uh, migraine episode that was associated with uh, brain infection or infection of the cere cerebrospinal fluid so this was about eight years ago, middle of 2015, and it was it, it came out of nowhere. So I previously had no history of migraine. It, I, I had family members who had migraine. Mm. Um, but anyway, so I had a, a, a migraine episode, which was uh, like a hemiplegic-type uh, migraine, which is essentially like stroke. So I had paralysis down uh, one side of my body, split vision, numbness of my mouth. I, I couldn't speak. I was slurring my words and so forth. So I felt like I was having a stroke. So I got home and, um, uh, you know, told my wife and, and, you know, she just laughed at me because I was slurring my words and she thought I was joking. But anyway, we, we called the ambulance and and pretty soon I lost consciousness and, and I went to hospital and, and was placed in a coma. And I came out three days later and and I was in hospital for two weeks and 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 they couldn't identify what the issue was they thought it was meningitis and and they ticked off you know pretty much everything and and they never identified it as as being a migraine or or you know the uh, the mm. condition that it was and it was 
It was only because uh, my sister had a good friend who was an oncologist who had another friend who was a neurologist and, and they'd been communicating and, and this neurologist, um, you know, knew the signs and, and knew what it was and it was a condition called um, HANDLE, which is an acronym. And But anyway, so... So I had this neurologist contact and, and that was my fortune because, you know, um, after I came out of a hospital, I, I started seeing that neurologist and, and, and you know, I, I knew what it was um, at that point and, and so I could, um, you know, uh, start to manage, manage it. it. But, yeah, and you've, have but, you been able to manage it, Simon? Yeah, yeah. So when I came out of hospital, I was, you know, suffering full-time migraine, so I was, you know, chronic you know, to the maximum level. And, and it took me sort of years to, well, several years, two to three years before I, I, I got any sort of real relief. And, and now I'm at a point where I experience probably three to seven migraines a month. So uh, so things are, uh, you know, much, much better now. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, constantly looking for improvement. Um, mm. But yes, but, but, but things, are, things are much better now. That's great to hear, Simon. Thank you, Simon in Inverloch. Lots of text messages from people saying, you know, that in, it, migraines disappeared once they had treatment for, for other things. So this says, I suffered with debilitating migraines for 20 years due to bad jaw alignment. I had surgery and a massive bonus was that without knowing it, the surgery also fixed my migraines. I've only had two minor ones in the past 20 years. I hope this possible solution may assist others in finding their cause, says one text. And this other from Marie says, my sister's migraines virtually disappeared when she was diagnosed with celiac disease and went on a gluten-free diet. She only has rare migraines nowadays. And another text, I used to have debilitating migraines. I stopped wearing my strong perfumes daily and my migraines stopped. I now only have a migraine if I use perfume more than one day in a row. Um, thank you so much for all the texts and the calls. Dr Emma Foster is with us, neurologist at the Alfred Hospital and a research fellow at Monash University um, and has been involved in an Australian first study that's actually delving into just how widespread migraines are and the burden they have and the treatment gaps we have. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. And we are talking about migraines, such a tricky beast, but they have such a huge impact on people's health and work life. They cost the Australian economy billions of dollars each year in lost productivity. So why are they so misunderstood and so difficult to get on top of? Dr Emma Foster is a neurologist at the Alfred and a research fellow at Monash University. And Emma, we've heard from lots of people who have found that, you know, in a roundabout way, their migraines have improved because they've been treated for, for other things. Um, what, what would your advice be if people are kind of wanting to go down the path of trying to get some answers and some help for their migraine? Um, absolutely. So thanks to everyone who's texted and called in. I think this really just reflects, as you said, Bronwyn, how complex migraine is and how many different um, things can trigger migraine in people and cause migraine in people. Um, I'd also just like to quickly say um, that the, some of the symptoms that people have experienced um, like our last caller who was um, had no movement and sensory change on one side of his body and slurred speech although that certainly can be migraine to also please if you do ever get those symptoms to present immediately to medical evaluation we just want to make sure you don't have something like a stroke and sometimes the first symptoms of migraine are thought to be stroke by people because they are so sudden and so severe now Onto why migraines are really tricky to pin down and, and what to do about them. We generally approach migraine treatment in three arms. The first is what we call lifestyle, the second is the acute management, and the third is chronic management. From the lifestyle point of view, um, and I think this was really brought up really neatly in some of the stories that people have shared, we'd ask people to have a consideration of their diet and um, we certainly know that for some people there are triggers like processed meats, strong cheeses, citrus fruits, gluten, MSG, red wine, chocolate can sometimes cause migraine. Again it's not for everybody but if you did begin to notice links between what you ate and getting a migraine it might be worth considering looking into that. 
We know that sleep is a really important part of um, a well-regulated body um, and one of the things we advise to try and control migraine is getting to sleep at the same time each night and waking up the same time each morning. Um, just like meals, trying to be regular, so eating about the same amount of food, roughly the same time each day. Sometimes, really? Yeah, sometimes mm. people notice if they miss meals, that might trigger a migraine, or if they eat a lot more than they normally would, that can trigger a migraine. Stress is such a difficult thing to control because in most cases people are stressed because there's something outside their control exerting um, an unwelcomed change into their lives. But what we can do, although we sometimes can't change the factors that drive us being stressed, is sometimes we can help our body in how it manages stress. So we think it's really important to have a regular routine where we do something as simple as just deep breathing for two minutes. So count in for four breaths, hold for four breaths and breathe out for four, oh, sorry, for four counts and repeat that eight times so you make about two minutes people might like doing yoga regular exercise is really important and it's what suits you um so we know that sometimes the jolting movements of running for example can be very unpleasant for people with migraine but there may be alternates like swimming or water running <laughs> that can help get your body moving and i can imagine it would be hard if you suffer migraines that in itself could could bring stress into your life if you're trying to manage work and manage family commitments and care for for people. So I can see how that could be a a nasty cycle (laughs) of stress triggering migraines and then the migraines triggering the stress. Absolutely. A nasty catch-22 for sure. Um, Then in terms of management for acute migraine attacks, so that's when you're experiencing um, for a lot of people that, um, that bad pulsating head pain or the other symptoms there are various medications that you can take early in the attack um, uh, that can help with controlling that and I think Siobhan had mentioned triptans as um, something that you can get from your GP and um, high, dissol- high dose dissolvable aspirin is something else I'd encourage people to see their GP to discuss just because some of our medications have got um, are not suitable for some people um, but, but there certainly are medications that maybe you may be able to take to help with the acute attack And then finally, and I think this is really interesting what people have sort of alluded to in their text messages and their phone calls, is that there might be an underlying problem that needs to be treated. Um, And we certainly have a large range of tablets that can be taken daily to reduce the frequency, intensity and duration of migraine attacks. Um, And these tablets really reflect how complex migraine is because our tablets often initially have been developed for other conditions and we know that they're also useful for migraine. So I tell my, my patients when I prescribe them a medication, I'll say, if you Google this, you'll find it's an antidepressant or an anti-epileptic drug or an anti-blood pressure tablet or a hay fever tablet. And I say, that's not because I think you have these other problems, but the receptors are common to what are also involved in migraine. And that's why these medications may be helpful for you. And then finally, as Siobhan said, there are some new therapies on the market that are looking really effective for people with the chronic migraine type, things like injectable therapies once a month. Recently, um, another therapy has come on the market, which is a quarterly, which means every three months infusion. And there's also Botox. So Botox um, injected around the forehead, back of the scalp and down into the neck and shoulders has been shown to help with migraine prevention. And is that something that you have to sort of be experiencing a certain frequency and severity of migraines to be eligible for? What are the rules around Botox? Absolutely. So um, the PBS-funded Botox and PBS-funded injectable therapies, which are the anti-CGRP monoclonal antibodies, you have to meet pretty strict criteria to get that pbs funding for it. Um, People may choose to have these therapies um, off PBS, so they pay for a private script, but the private script is quite expensive, running into the hundreds of dollars every month. Yeah, and that's one of the big challenges, isn't mm. it? If finding something you can afford that, that also works. Emma, stay with us. Gabriella Kelly-Davies is the author of Breaking Through the Pain Barrier, The Extraordinary Life of Dr. Michael J. Cousins and experiences migraines herself. Hi, Gabriella. Hi there. How are you? 
Good. Tell me about your migraines and, and the impact that they've had on your life. Ah, uh, yes. Well, um, they started in the 80s when some thugs pushed me off my bicycle while I was cycling along the road. Oh, no. And so pretty much smashed up my neck and damaged nerves. And uh, they started a few years later. Uh, no one ever diagnosed migraine. So it wasn't until 20 years later that uh, I was diagnosed with migraine. But it really affected me terribly. So I was working in federal politics uh, a few years later and I couldn't say, I would go to say a word, but I couldn't make the muscles in my mouth say it. And I couldn't think of the word I wanted to say. And uh, so, you know, that really caused stigma in the workplace and annoyed, the, you know, my colleagues. Uh, and it's affected, it's affected me right throughout my career. So luckily I'm retired now. But... Um, I was in senior management uh, at a university in Sydney and the, it was a really um, competitive environment. One, one day my boss said, oh, you need to develop more resilience. <laughs> You'd be much better if you became more resilient. Oh, and, and how uh, did you and, react to that? Well, what I wanted to say was, boy, it takes me more resilience to come here every day than you'll ever experience in your life. Yeah. But um, you can't you can't say things like that to your boss. But I did feel very stigmatised and I was in another hospital quite a lot and there was frustration amongst my colleagues that I was in going in, in another hospital. So I, I had a tough time in the workplace. But um, I have tried many, many, many treatments. So all the all the medications that we just talked about and, and the Botox. Uh, the thing I found most helpful really is multidisciplinary pain management at a pain clinic because what uh, some of the things they teach you are to pace yourself rather than um, doing too much and then stirring up a, or flaring up a migraine. Uh, meditation, stretching, gentle exercise, things like Tai Chi and hydrotherapy uh, so they are all part of my daily routine. And, uh, and are you at a thing, point... Oh, sorry, Gabrielle. I was just going to say, are you at a point now with, you know, all of those different things you're doing to manage your migraines that they're not nearly as bad or, or as frequent as they were? No. <laughs> they're, um, they're pretty frequent. Last week uh. I had one every day. It's really... What's really the problem now is an arthritic neck. So it's... I've got a very arthritic neck and one of the treatments I have is called a radiofrequency ablation where the pain specialist um, basically cooks the nerves in your neck and it stops, it, he cooks the sensory part of the nerve fibre and that stops the pain signals going to the brain. Uh, so I'm due to have that in a couple of weeks. But that seems to be the most effective treatment so far plus the... Um, uh, not in Galaxy, but one of those. Uh, oh, Ajovi. Ajovi is a preventable drug that I've been taking. Oh, and, Gabriella, um, what an ordeal, especially at work, yeah. to, to just feel yeah. like you're being judged um, yes. constantly for your mm. performance at work. Um, what would you say to people who are struggling to to kind of cope with their migraine and and deal with that perhaps judgment or discrimination in, in their workplace? That's a very good question. I think it's been, it's been, well, first of all, it's trying to get good treatment. And, and so, you know, the whole multidisciplinary approach, I think, works well because it's very stressful when you're stigmatized. But if you do, if you get into the habit of meditating, and I used to shut my office door and meditate at lunchtime, uh, and that helped a lot. So I think you have to have, be confident in, in yourself. Uh, but then find all these other things like pacing and meditation and relaxation techniques that help you to deal with it um, because it's very hard. Other people, I think you can't let other people's opinion of you affect your self-esteem, but it's really, it, it's difficult to say that because it does affect you. Yeah, of course. Gabriella, thank you so much for sharing your experience. Gabriella Kelly Davies, who um, you know went 20 years with migraines before before she was even diagnosed, um, had a huge impact on her work. Dr. Emma Foster, how important is it for people to persist um, if they're not getting answers and they're not having success? Because um, it, it feels as though, depending on who you see, um, you know, you could be sent down various different paths on, on your treatment. Absolutely. And I really sympathise with everyone out there who, and this is not an uncommon story, people are sitting 
months, years, decades with migraine, either unrecognized or undiagnosed. So um, I would say that there are um, migraine specialists out there that will be able to um, uh, assess and address um, the migraine. The Australian New Zealand Headache Society webpage has actually got a list of neurologists who've self-nominated as um, people with um, expertise in migraine care. So you could look up that and see if there's a neurologist in your area. And we are working very, very hard to increase the time that um, migraine education is um, taught at medical school. Um, It's gone from only zero to only a few hours but we really are trying as a as a committee so i'm on the australian new zealand headache society to raise awareness and really drive home the importance of being able to recognize and diagnose and treat migraine at all across the whole medical specialists so not just neurologists but also gps and emergency physicians for example yeah so important to get you know the right help from people who who understand migraines too several texts coming in on botox actually this from jay Mm. my daughter was diagnosed with migraine and her neurologist suggested botox which has made a massive difference and um there's another here from uh jill which says i had debilitating vertigo and migraines for over 30 years and had botox treatment for teeth grinding and my migraine stopped i have a life again says jill And I think that's um, one of the the things that's coming through really strongly in the the calls and the texts is, you know, this this derails lives, Emma. Mm. Um, And that's that's shocking and and really, um, you know, hard for people to deal with because, you know, for some it's decades of pain and, and interruption to their life. Absolutely. And I mean, the people who work in migraine and people who experience migraine or know people who experience migraine don't underestimate this. They understand what a debilitating condition it is. Um, And The Lancet, which is a premier medical journal, every um, few years publishes something called the Global Burden of Disease Studies, where they have researchers that go around the world, collate all the information about the various disorders out there, And consistently, migraine and headache disorders comes in around the top two (laughs) disorders um, causing disability around the world. Mm. And it's... It, it really hasn't got the traction, we think, with healthcare policy or research funding or um, perhaps treatment um, investigations as it, as it warrants because it is such a debilitating condition. And I want to ask you more about the work that you're involved with at the moment, which is this Australian First study. But let's head to Bentley and Nathan has called in to the program. Hi, Nathan. Hi, how are you going? Good. What's, what's been happening with your migraines? Yeah, a little bit... Uh, taking in a lot of um, what everyone else has said, but I suppose mine is a little bit different where I suffer from cluster migraines. So I'm uh, in my early 40s now and they probably started in my early 30s. And before mm. that, like I never even got an, a normal headache. Um, but now for the last sort of 10, 12 years, every, like for once a year, for four to five weeks, I will, um, I'll have these cluster migraines, which are completely debilitating. I'll get four to five a week for four or five weeks a year and they kick in really quickly. Um, I can't see, um, debilitating in terms of, yeah, I can't see, I end up throwing up mm. and, um, and can't do anything. So there have been times in this latest cluster where I've had to either call my wife to pick me up from work or pick me up from somewhere because, yeah, debilitating, can't see, throwing up. Um, and over the last, normally it's only four or five weeks. The, this current cluster has actually been a bit longer. It's been about eight to ten weeks. Um, and normally the medication works for me. Uh, someone mentioned earlier, as long as I take the medication right when that headache kicks in. If I take it when it kicks in, I'm probably out for about an hour and then I'm tired for an hour or two. But if I miss that window at the very start, then I'm out for four or five hours. What impacts it having on your life, Nathan? Um, normally, to be honest, like apart from this particular cluster, it, you know, it's been pretty bad, but I felt like it's been managed. I'm like, right, I know it's only four or five weeks and it's only four or five um, times a week and then that's it for the year um, but this particular one's gone on for about eight or ten weeks i also normally get um an injection of nerve blocker in my head um and that seems to normally help if i get it at the start of the cluster as well um mm. but a big particular cluster i miss that sort of boat at the start so sort of eight to ten weeks not knowing if you know when you go to 
an event or when you're going to work. I'm like, all right, I need to know that I can get a taxi home or I'm not going to take my car because I might not be able to drive home because I literally don't know if I'm going to be, you know, debilitated at some time later in the day. Yeah, Nathan, that's really, yeah, that's really tricky to deal with, isn't it? And manage your life around that. Um, Nathan in Bentley there. And there's a text here, Emma, that says, um, migraine is not just pain. It feels like you are cloaked in grey. Hard to move, hard to think. And another, good morning, I've had migraines since I was a child of nine years of age. One of the most difficult things I've had to endure, apart from the horrific experience of having the migraine, is the treatment that I receive from other people, family, Mm. friends, work colleagues and doctors. That I have to apologise for something I have no control over is heartbreaking. As yet, I am yet to receive any treatment that has worked. The cost of Botox is beyond my financial means, unfortunately says Lynn in Essendon. Um, thanks, Lynn, so much for your uh, for your text. Meg is in Melbourne. Welcome to the program, Meg. Thank you. Thank you very and, much for having and me And you've on. got a migraine right now, Meg. I am lying in bed right now with an iPad over my eyes. Not an iPad, a technical one, a, a, yes. <laughs> like a big bag. <laughs> a weighted uh, pad over my eyes, listening mm. and heard the word migraine and triggered a little... Uh, bit of hope which is lovely to hear it's really nice to hear you speaking about it meg i cannot thank you enough for calling when you're in the midst of managing a <laughs> migraine yourself is is there anything that works for you when you get a migraine uh usually triptans are very effective for me um i'm now on cbd which actually is a thc version um that is helpful for the pain um but i'm not under control so i'm often in bed and often out of action. I've had to uh, give up my full-time teaching job to now work part-time with that. (laughs) And, um, you know, family, friends, social, everything suffers financially. It's really difficult. Mm. A friend of mine gets really bad migraines, Emma, just started getting them in her 40s, so they're hormone-related. But she talks about the the kind of post-migraine hangover and how awful you feel in the days after and, and wondering if there's anything you can do for that. Do you have any advice around that, Emma? Oh, sure. That's Yeah, that's such a great question. I just wanted to quickly say the cloak of grey was such an apt description for the the had the sensation during a migraine attack but this postictal phase where people are typically drained of energy feel really under the weather need to rest up um it's a really tricky part and i think that really just extends the disability that is caused by migraine it's not just the four to 72 hours where you have the acute migraine attack it's a few days afterwards so you might be out for an entire week with an attack even though the pain is maybe only a small proportion of that so i think at this stage um it's really sort of what we'd say um conservative measures so resting up pacing yourself getting adequate sleep keeping your hydration up um, for for this time. And certainly I think that's an area that really needs more research and, um, and, and more attention for sure. And Megan Melbourne, uh, rest up and all the best. Thank you for calling us when you're in the midst of a migraine and I hope you're feeling really better very soon. We are talking about migraines, the impact they have on not only your health but also your work life and that's what we'll be focusing on next here on The Conversation Hour. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. And we are talking migraines this morning. Carl Cincinnati is the Director of Migraine and Headache Australia and gets migraines himself. He's just been to an International Headache Congress in Seoul. Hi, Carl. Hello. We've heard some really heartbreaking stories this morning of the the impact that migraines have had on people's lives. I'm hoping that you might have returned from this Congress with some fresh hope of, um, you know, some exciting new treatments that are in the pipeline. Well, to, to level set everyone's expectations, um, there's still not a cure that works for everyone with migraine. Um, what's going to work for individuals will be different from the next person. But there is a lot of work going on internationally, which is really encouraging to see. What is on the way through or, or coming up um, being tested that you think might, you know, potentially be helpful for people? So I'm not a neuroscientist, but from what I can see, um, we had a, a recent 
treatment class made available by the anti-CGRPs, which are the monoclonal antibodies. And these use a type of technology that targets a, a molecule that's released during the cascade of a migraine attack. Now, CGRP is very prevalent in the body, and if you give CGRP to someone who has migraine, it actually triggers an attack. There's another molecule that does a similar thing called PACUP, um, and um, I, I won't dare try and um, explain what the abbreviation refers to, but it's a new therapeutic target. So this is potentially um, an area that could create a whole new class of migraine treatments for people living with migraine. So does that potentially, and I know that you're not a scientist, but does that potentially mean that for people who've never been able to find something that works for them, this could be potentially a, a, a new opportunity? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it needs to go through clinical trials and it needs more research and safety data and efficacy data needs to be collected. But um, but there's certainly lots of potential. And, and what I would say to people that have tried everything, this is something that um, I think a lot of clinicians hear very often and we certainly hear um, very often at Migraine Headache Australia and at the Brain Foundation. But the um, but the the reality for a lot of people is you may have tried everything that you've doctors suggested or that you've been able to find um, you know through your through your own research. But trying treatments at the right dose for the right length of time, perhaps in combination with other treatments, this is something that can be quite confusing because there are medications that interact and it's not safe to sort of combine, but there are medications that can work synergistically when they're combined together. And one example of that would be a pain medication and an anti-nausea medication. So it's about finding not just the one thing, but maybe a variety of things working together that can provide relief. That's right, absolutely. I know you've done... um, some work on on the impact that this is having on people in the workplace and we've heard from a number of people who've either had to quit their job or they've suffered um, you know, discrimination at work. There's a text message here, Carl, that says um, that their, their boss actually said to them, if I knew that you were going to be someone that got migraines, I would never have hired you in the first place. What do we need to do at that workplace level to make life easier for people who are you know, fronting up to work and having to deal with this? Yeah, so the first thing I'd say is that employers need to be pretty careful, right? We have rights as employees. We have a right to um, to not be discriminated against. We are not legally required to disclose that we have migraine unless it's um, something that um, has a material impact on our, our ability or on the safety of other employees, right? So if we have, for example, migraine with aura, which, which blocks our vision and we're operating heavy machinery, well, that is probably something that you need to disclose to your employer. But it can be very different um, in individual cases. Um, but we do need to know that we do have rights you know, and legal protections um, you know, as, as someone who has migraine. And we shouldn't feel bullied into needing to disclose um, whether we have migraine or not um, to our employer. That's, that's a very individual decision. So are there things that workplaces can do to become, dare I say, more, more migraine friendly that would minimise the impact on people who are coming to work, maybe suffering a migraine or, or coming off a weekend where they've had a terrible migraine? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the simplest things is just a bit of flexibility. Giving people the ability to go home and rest if they need to or to take a couple of hours in the day or even to um, enable them to have their medications um, nearby or, or be able to drink water or if they need um, you know, to um, have something to eat to, to avoid a sugar low or something like that. Um, having that flexibility can make a really big difference. And if you have a, a, a workplace culture that prides itself on output rather than presenteeism, well, then that really encourages that type of you know, working environment where people, it's about getting the job done. It's not about sitting at your desk for 10 or 12 hours a day. Yeah. Carl Cincinnati, thank you so much. Director of Migraine and Headache Australia. Julia Jones is the CEO at Pain Australia. Welcome, Julia. Hi, how are you? Good. I know a lot of people um, have been asking about, you know, where can I go for good advice? Where can I go for support um, to talk to other people who experience migraines? What what support networks are out there? So Pain Australia represents the whole spectrum of people living with chronic pain. And we certainly do take a lot of phone calls from people who are not coping very well. And often one of the one of the best um, organisations that we refer people to is the Australian Pain Management Association who have a phone line to assist people with uh, chronic pain at the helpline and uh, and that is um, is an excellent op- option. Do you have that number handy, Julia? 
I will have. <laughs> <laughs> we can look it up too. Um, what we've also heard apart from the medication that people might be able to take a lot of people have talked about the help they uh, or the relief they found when they did things like meditate or yoga or stretching or massage um is it important to kind of look at at other non-medical options for helping lessen the impact of migraine so the pain link helpline is 1300 340 357 and um, it is manned most of the time or otherwise people get a phone call back and that's a really important line to call. As um, The next question was about um, the environment that people live mm. in and the way that they... Yeah, so we basically um, need to, as a society, come to terms with the fact that pain, chronic pain is very real. It affects a lot of people. I mean, we know one in four households are affected by migraine. That's... Um, these are some of the numbers that Carl, who you had on before, promotes through um, Migraine Headache Australia. And um, we know that people's experience of pain has a biopsychosocial component to it. So if people feel supported, uh, have support networks, have a good workplace, that, that they can actually experience a reduction in their pain and their experience of pain. So we actually need to work out ways of listening to people, empathising with people and not dismissing their pain or like uh, like you talked about before, see it as a problem in the workplace. I mean, everybody brings their body and their, mm. and their conditions with them to work. It doesn't make them a good or a bad employee unless there is no ability to be flexible to that person's needs. And I think often we don't realise we can be a lot more flexible than we need, than we have been in the past. And maybe the pandemic taught us a thing or two about that too. People sometimes work really well when they're more comfortable. absolutely absolutely and if that means maybe sometimes you work from home because that's the best place for you then you know maybe that's a conversation to have too that national pain link helpline number again for those interested one 340 357 but really interesting julia to hear about that the fact that support and understanding can actually make a huge difference to the, the experience of pain itself as well so thank you for joining us julia jones ceo of pain australia and a big thank you to Dr Emma Foster who stayed with us for the whole hour sharing her expertise as a neurologist at the Alfred a research fellow at Monash University I did mention at the top that you've been involved in this um, Australian first study Emma into um, some of those treatment gaps and just how burdensome migraines can be so look forward to catching up again perhaps once you've got some results from that too thanks again for your time thank you so much for having me and thanks to all the participants for our uh, for our migraine um census as well look forward to sharing results with you shortly yeah and thank you so much for all the calls and the text messages huge number of people saying you know thank you for raising this it's had a huge impact thank you again for all the people who contributed to um share their stories of migraine and and some of the solutions too as i mentioned you can always listen back and share the program with someone else 